And so for the next hour or so, Pastor Chris, please take it on. And the Lord bless you. Let's give our prayer hands together one more time. So much. Well, good morning, everyone. Please be seated. It's lovely to see you all. It's lovely to be here. Thank you, brother. So, uh, wow, what an introduction, eh? I don't think I've had an introduction like that ever. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Your worship, by the way, is awesome. Uh, I, know this, I know this is politically incorrect, but I find white man's worship a little bit lame. But you guys, you know how to praise the Lord. So I love it. I absolutely love that kind of worship. So praise God. Hallelujah. Um, so it's a privilege to be here, it's an honour to be here, and I don't take lightly being invited to other people's congregations, it's always a special privilege, it's a special honour. And uh, as I said, my beautiful wife is over there, we, we live in the south coast around Fairham area near Portsmouth, and uh, we have five children, two have now kind of grown up and left the roost a bit, and uh, my wife has homeschooled them all. So uh, yeah, so, she's, uh, she's kind of a woman, and uh, you know... And uh, I thank God for her every day because without her, I couldn't do what I do either. So she's, she's a, such a testimony to, to we're a great team, basically. Now, I, um, <laughs> when I've been praying all week about what to bring to this church, um, God kept saying to me the same. Uh, by the way, feel free to you know, do your thing. I'm, I'm all up for that. So I, as I was praying, I just, I just felt God was saying, to talk about the importance of leadership in the local church. Now, you might think, well, how's that relevant to us? You know, we love our pastors and stuff, you know. But nevertheless, all week I kept praying about it, and all week I kept getting the same thing, and so I'm going to share some stuff. And I'm going to share some horror stories that I have a leader, as I as a leader, have had to deal with over the years as well, so that you understand the importance of good leadership in your church and the things that they can save you and protect you from that you probably don't even know about. Hallelujah. Um, and they'll just, because it says in Psalm 133, you know, how beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. For there God commands the blessing, life forevermore. Now, who wants the life of God flowing in their ministries, in their families, in their jobs, in the workplace, in their church? I do. And so, therefore, unity in the body is really, really important, which is all I want to talk about. So let's talk about, let's just give you a few scriptures to get started. So if you've got a Bible, I'm sure you all have. Uh, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, I'm just going to quickly read verses 1 to 6. And it says, Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, about our ancestors. All of them were under the cloud and all crossed the sea. All underwent the baptism of the land and of the sea to join Moses. And all of them ate from the same spiritual manner. And all of them drank from the same spiritual drink. For you know, you know that they drank from a spiritual rock following them, and that rock was Christ. However, most of them did not please God. And the desert was strewn with their bodies. All of this has happened as an example for us, so that we might not uh, become a people of evil desires as they did. You know, I know it's like, whoa, this is a little bit heavy for a Sunday morning, but but actually, I want, I just really feel God wants to encourage us today. And just to keep that, you know, God so wants his church to be one. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have a look around at the church today, it's divided, it's broken, it's schismed. This doesn't honour God. And I think it's one of the reasons why we don't see 
the tremendous power that God wants to release into his body because we are so broken and we are so divided. And my next scripture, my sort of base text scripture, is from uh, Hebrews 13, 17. If you want to turn to that. So Hebrews 13, verse 17. Now, I need to say something as well. I have never, ever preached a sermon like this before, okay? I've never preached this in my own church. I've never preached it anywhere. Never. So what we're doing here today, I've got no ulterior motive. I just believe this is what God wants to say. I'm not implying that you have a problem or anything like that. I'm just literally just giving you the scriptures that I believe that God wants to give to us, okay? So Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are concerned for your souls and are accountable for them. Let this be a joy for them rather than a burden, which would be of no advantage to you. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk about our response to leaders and our response as leaders today. Okay. So no one's getting away scot-free today. All right? we're, all, we're all in this together. Hallelujah. But it's really important that in a family, you know, we have a mum and dad, right? And as children, we, we honour our parents. And it's important that that culture is in the church as well. The church is like, it's a family. It's a big family. And, uh, you know, like any family, you've got some, some, you know, some strange ones, amen. And we must bear with the strange ones, glory be God. I was a strange one when I, in my younger days. So they all had to pay, put up with me and bear with me. But in every house, there's house rules. Yeah. You know, and it's important that when we're in someone else's house, that we respect their rules and respect their ways, etc. Because this is how God is. There is a household of faith. You know, Moses was the servant of the house of God. And Jesus is the master builder of this house of God. We are all in the house of the Lord. But this is like a a small house, so to speak, of the big house. And you are a family within that house. And therefore, there are sort of house rules and there's a way of doing things, etc. Now, I want to talk about the importance of kingdom authority here. You see, I meet a lot of Christians and I don't know... About, about you guys, but I certainly know where in, in sort of my area, there's, there's a culture in today's society that's a bit like, well, who do you think you are? Who do you think, you're not the boss of me, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Now, now good leadership isn't about lording it over people. That's right, that's right. But there is still a place for good leadership and there, and there does have to be the buck stops with someone and sometimes the leaders have to say, come on guys, that's not really acceptable, we can't be doing that. Or, or other points of leadership is that they, they're to lead. You see, leaders shouldn't drive the flock. You know, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep follow me. So a lot of pastoring, uh, certainly in the circles that I deal with, they like to drive the flock. And you look at the Western way of, of uh, dealing with sheep, and they have a sheepdog, don't they? And it drives the flock and scares them into their pens and stuff. But that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is a good spiritual leader should be a man and a woman. You look at them and you go, man, I aspire to be like them. I can see that God is on them. I can see that God is with them. I can see God goes before them and behind them. And therefore, I want to honour that. And I will follow in that. But I've seen this time and time again that you will get people... I mean, I've seen, man, I've seen so many things. And it just, it just doesn't honour God. Where you get people who are like, well, I, I don't want to follow them. I, I want to do my own thing. And I want people to follow me. And do what I say. And, 
and, and various other things. I, I'm going to sort of come to all this a little bit later. But in, in the kingdom of God, there is structure and there is governance. I mean, you've, it says in 1 Corinthians, it talks about a strange, a strange scripture in our culture about head coverings. But I, I, I see it more in the light of headship coverings. So you've got God the Father who is the headship covering of the Son. The Son is the headship covering of the church. And the man is the headship covering of the wife and so on and so forth. So you can see there's order. You look at the angelic structure. There's powers. There's principalities. There's dominions. There's angels. There's archangels. There's cherubim. There's seraphim. There's a place of structure. There's a place of order that comes through the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of a story of the centurion. You remember the centurion? Came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, you're not worthy for you to come into my house, but I have a servant and he needs to be healed. And, uh, but he said, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house if you just say the word. And then Jesus said a remarkable thing. He turned around and he said, wow, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. Which must have been a little bit for the disciples, like, well, hey, you know, Jesus, you know, we're not doing too badly. What are you talking about? Yeah, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Because that guy, that centurion, he got kingdom authority. Because he knew that Jesus, in authority, was a man under authority. And he knew as a centurion that he was commissioned on the, on the authority of the emperor of Rome. So that when that centurion spoke, he was as though he was speaking by the very power. Well, he is speaking by the power and the authority. It was as though he were the emperor himself because he's been commissioned by the emperor to be in charge of a, of a hundred soldiers. And so when he gives an order to his men, he expects it to be done because it's as though it came through Caesar himself, through him to those people. So he understood the name, but he understood as well that he was subservient to those in authority above him as well. And he knew that that's how kingdom works. If you want the anointing, if you want the flow of God's power to be more in your life, then there's things in our lives where we have to get them into alignment. Because that's the nature of kingdom. Things must align in the kingdom. Amen. I remember years ago, God showed me uh, a vision. And in his vision, uh, I, was about, I was about 19, 20. So I'd only been recently saved and I was desperate. To see the power of God work in my life. I was so desperate for it. And I fell into this, this trance one day, this trying to dream. And God showed me this machine. And all this power of God was pouring into this machine. But what was coming out the other end was just this little, little split of power, which barely lit up like a torch. But it was supposed to be a powerful laser that could cut through iron. But nothing was coming out. And I was like, God, what, what does this mean? And he said, that's you. Because there's stuff inside you, inside this engine, that isn't working right, that's not lined up right, that's not in the, in the way of my kingdom. There's things within you that need to be healed. You need inner healing, you need deliverance, you need sorting out. And so as I learned these things, and as I learned to submit myself more and more to God, slowly but surely, God entrusted me with more of a calling and more of his anointing in my life. Now, when I was younger, in my 20s, and I hate, I, hate, I hate having to say this, but it's true, I was one of those troublemakers for your local pastor. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You tell me. You know, I, I didn't like authority. So if anyone here is like, has a little bit of an issue with that, I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from. I, I, I had the t-shirt, man. I, I, I wore it proudly, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. And, and it got me into a lot of trouble. And I could never understand why I was constantly frustrated. 
And things just never, you know, I was really trying to press into things in God or trying to, trying to birth something in God. And it's like, mm-mm, ain't going to happen. It is not going to happen. Until you get things right and until you start aligning up with me, it is not going to happen. And so God would not release me. And I knew that God had a calling on me. I just knew that he had a calling on me. But it's like the old stallion. Unless that stallion is broken in, he might have all that power. But if it's not trained and it's not governed and it's not submitted to authority, then it's no good. Okay, It's just a wild horse. And the word humility comes from breaking in a horse. It means power under submission. Power under submission. And every one of us, glory be to God, is called to humility in Christ. That means, Lord Jesus, I submit my will. I submit my mind. I submit my life. I submit my dreams. I submit my aspirations. I submit the chips on my shoulder all to you, Lord God. And I lay down my life as a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. And like the, in, in Ezekiel's vision with the seraphim, with the wheels within wheels right next to him, it says, though they didn't move unless the spirit moved. And wherever the spirit moved, the angels moved with the moving of the spirit to the left and to the right. And that's how it should be in our lives. It must be, Lord, wherever your spirit is moving, I will move with your spirit. As opposed to, well, that's not really what I want to do. That's not really my ministry. That's not really my thing. I don't really want to put out the chairs on the side. Hey, pastor, don't you know that I'm called to preach? Hallelujah. I'm called to go to the nations. Yeah, that's all very well and good. But could you put the chairs out? No, because I'm called to preach and go to the nations. Well, man, if you can't even put out the chairs, man, no one's going to let you loose on the nations. Glory be to God. Some of the things that I, I have seen over the years where there is no leadership can cause a problem. Uh, I remember I was, I was uh, overseeing this church and uh, the, the, the main pastor guy, he needed to take a break. Things went right and he had to take a break and he, he went off somewhere for a while. And uh, so we were left with this leadership team. And I said to them, I sat them down, I said, look guys, I said, nature abhors a vacuum. I said, and now you've lost the main sort of leader of the church. Someone is going to try and fill that hole. And I guarantee, and every time that someone tries to fill that hole, 99.9% of the time, it's always someone that shouldn't fill that role, amen? And literally, within a day, there he was, taking charge of stuff from the front. And it just showed me right there and then the importance of good leadership in the church. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. I'm sure you all know this stuff, but I'm just gonna, it's good to um, recover some old ground, hallelujah. So Ephesians chapter four. And these are ministries that are given by Christ Jesus to his church for the church. And this is from verse 11. And it says, Jesus is, uh, as for his gifts, that's Jesus' gifts, to some he gave to be apostles to others prophets, or evangelists, or pastors, and teachers. So he prepared those who belong to him for the ministry in order to what? Build up the body of Christ. The leaders are there, they're not just there to, just because it's really cool to be a leader, they've been commissioned and authorized and deputized by Jesus Christ himself to help lead his people. But for what end? 
until, until, verse 13, we are all united in the same faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Thus we shall become the perfect man upon reaching maturity and sharing the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now, anybody here, would you like to get to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ? Well, then you need leaders, glory be to God. You need your apostles, you need your prophets, you need your pastors, you need your teachers, you need your evangelists. We need it all for the equipping of the saints to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ. Now, I'm remembering the the feeding of the 5,000. And in the feeding of the 5,000, it says Jesus took pity on them because they were like a people without a shepherd. You see, Jesus knows what's best for his church. And if Jesus is the good shepherd, okay, what do you think a good shepherd will do? He will train up lots of other shepherds or under shepherds to take care of his flock while he deals with the bigger matters. Now, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, he went to heaven, right? And he's now sat at the right hand of the Father, glory be to God. He is the head, but the body of Christ is still on the earth. The body of Christ is the church. As I always say, the body of Christ isn't, when Paul, the Apostle Paul says, ah, you know, you are all the body of Christ, it, it's, not a, it's not a clever slogan, it's not a bumper sticker, it's not a t-shirt thing. You are the body of Christ on the earth. You are literally Jesus' hands, his feet, his ears, his mouthpiece to this world. No one else is going to tell people about Jesus. No one else is going to show them what the kingdom of God looks like. We're demonstrated in your lives, demonstrated in your marriages, demonstrated in your families, demonstrated in the workplace, demonstrated here in the body of Christ. Glory be to God. You are the body of Christ. I'll say it again. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. We are not. I hear this a lot. I used to get this this sort of thing quite a lot where people say to me, Ah, Chris, I am the church. I I am the church. You know, and you people just walking through and here I am. I am the church, the church is here, without realizing that he's being blasphemous. Because there's only one person who can claim that I am the church, who is Christ himself. Because we are all individual members of his body. But no one individual is corporately the body except Christ himself. Hallelujah. So if you ever see someone say, hey bro, I am the church. I'm here. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You have to say, mate, (laughs) with respect, you are not the church. You're an individual member of it. So I've seen plenty of rebellions in my time within churches over the years, and it really breaks God's heart. It really breaks God's heart when he sees splits and schisms and divisions within the church. And uh, one that we see is in the book of um, Numbers. In chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, well, that whole chapter actually, we have the rebellion of the sons of Korah. Anyone familiar with that story? Okay, so the sons of Korah, these were... Well, they were Levite. They were part of the Levite tribes, and basically, they wanted to come closer. They, because obviously, the sons of Aaron, they were the only ones that were allowed to actually minister to God, whereas all the other Levites had to be around the duties pertaining to the tabernacle of God. You know, looking after stuff, cleaning it, packing it up, and carrying it, etc. But the sons of Korah, they wanted more than that. It's like, well, who appointed you 
You two, so you know, you minister to God. Well, we can all minister to God. You know, I'm just as much a, I have just as much a right here as you do. Why do you get to do all the cool stuff and we don't? And so there was a rebellion. And, uh, well, it didn't go down, <laughs> didn't end well. Man, I tell you what, it was, it, thank God that we don't have old covenant things that happen to us anymore. Because, man, those days were scary. Man, it, the, the ground literally opened up. And ate the sons of Korah and their family. Boom, it says they went down alive into Sheol. Wow. And then there were other sons of Korah that had these um, these censers that they were holding. And it says fire came out from the Ark of the Covenant and burned them all alive instantly. Because it's God says, I set the tone. I set the rules. You know, we learned this when David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem he did it two times and the first time he did it didn't do it right he didn't do it according to the way that God had prescribed and so then there's Uzzah who's watching the Ark of the Covenant rocking on this uh, Oxenant car and he goes to steady it thinking his hand was cleaner than the dirt which the Ark of the Covenant could have fallen onto and bang dead because he presumed to touch that which was holy and it was not his place to do it it wasn't his right to do it hallelujah And we have got to be careful ourselves that we try not to handle and touch that which is not ours to handle and not ours to touch. There's a process. There's a right way of governance in the things of the kingdom of God. And so David, you know, a bit of a, I guess a bit of a paddy for, he seems like he sulked for a few few days. Like, oh God, why did you do that? And then he learned, actually there's an order. There's a way you have to do things. And he did it the right way the second time. And then the Ark of the Covenant, which is the manifest presence of God, came into the congregation of the people of God. Another thing that leaders do is that they protect you and they watch over you and they look after you. They pray for you. They care for you in lots of ways. If you need something, they're the guys that will be there. But I want to share some stuff with you that I've had to deal with over the years because there are several things that will come into your church to cause problems. And that's the spirit of Absalom, the spirit of Jezebel, and then you'll get schismatics, people that want to try and bring division in subtle little ways. Okay, and I'm just going to deal with all these. The first one, I think the most dangerous one, is his name is Absalom. Now, do you remember the story of Absalom? He was one of King David's sons. And what he did is he stood at the gate... And he, all these leaders and stuff and people would come to him or go, go past the gate. He'd say, hey, what's the judgment that my father did for you today? And he'd say, oh, we're this, that and the other. Well, if I was king, I would do it this way and I would give you a better judgment. And slowly but surely, he turned the hearts of the congregation of the people of Israel against his father, David, to the point where Absalom knew that now was his time, that he could rise up. He had enough people on his side that he could take the kingdom of David. That is a very dangerous spirit. I have seen this all the time. I, I, I see it subtly and I see it full on. I remember one guy a long time ago, he came to our church and he went around our church, okay, been there for a, a year or so. He said, I, he said Chris, uh, I've been asking all the people in your church and they said they'd prefer me to be a home group leader than that man over there. I said, like, dude, that's the spirit of Absalom right there. How dare you? 
How dare you assume and take on yourself that role and authority that no one's actually asked you to do, but you took it upon yourself, and how dare you then go into the flock and cause dis, uh, dissension and consternation by, by sowing discontent against another leader so that you can have his job. Okay? But, but this doesn't just happen at church. This can happen at work. This can happen in families. This can happen everywhere. So this is not just just for the house of God. I mean, wherever we go, we see this all the time, right? It's not right. It's not godly. It's demonic. And the, the fruit that it will bring is never, ever good. I, I, have, I remember one day we had um, this family, they came to our church and uh, I couldn't believe it, we literally after that church service I got about five phone calls from people all around the country saying to me, you do not want them in your church, get them out. And I was like, wow, what have they done? And uh, so and they said, you just, they split up churches, they do all kinds of things and and at that time, I started running a leadership course, which leaders from other churches could come to if they wished to. And so he came along to it. And, and it's like, and what I found out was, is that he went into someone else's church, basically won the favor of half of his church, and then decided to go plant his own church down the road with half of that congregation. Now, could you tell me where, where and when is ever that a good thing? And I know the pastor's that were running that church, they're just lovely, gentle folk. You know, it it broke their hearts to see all their hard work be taken by someone that thinks he can do a better job. And here's the irony, he ran that church for about two years, his his own new church plant, and the thing slowly but surely fell apart. Yeah, Yeah. but then, what happened to all of those Christians? Well, they fell apart with it as well. And that's the sad, dangerous thing. I don't care how that man thought he was a brilliant Bible teacher, because actually he was a good Bible teacher. But a friend of mine once said, you can preach measles, but if you've got mumps, everyone's going to catch mumps. In other words, he had the the word of God, but because his heart wasn't right, that's what people received. Hallelujah. And so this is why, for all of us, and it's specifically hard for those in leadership, but it's harder for us as congregation leaders as well, is that we must do business with ourselves. And we must do business with our heart. Yes. You know, every now and then I, in prayer, I'll say, Holy Spirit, can you please highlight things in my life that you're not pleased with? Anyone else do that? Yes. Yeah, it's good. Generally, most churches I go to, and the place just goes quiet. <laughs> Jesus, what is it in my life that, that you're not pleased with or that, or that you want me to, you know, to push on and to be transformed and go from one degree of glory to another? Because the Holy Spirit, he doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to make us more Christ-like. He wants to make us more like him. You see, the process of freedom is becoming a slave. The way to life is in death. If you want to live in the things of Christ and if you want to walk in true freedom, then you must become a slave of righteousness if you want to be free in Christ. And if you want to live in the things of God, then you need to get yourself in the grave. Hallelujah. Give your lives up as a living sacrifice. For that is your reasonable act of worship. In other words, bare minimum, put yourself on the altar and kill yourself. Job done. Hallelujah. Because in death is life. That's why you don't get fully glorified 
until you die, okay? But in the process of dying to ourselves and taking up our cross daily, God can take us from one degree of glory to another. So that in these earthen jars, if we press in hard enough, we will have literally God manifesting his presence through our very own flesh. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So that wherever we go, God, we can literally manifest Jesus, manifest kingdom. Jesus did this so well. I mean, he walked into a room and people started manifesting. Would you like that? <laughs> it could be inconvenient and embarrassing, especially at Asda's. You know, I'm at the checkout. Oh, not now. And it's the checkout girl of all people. <laughs> Hallelujah. I remember Tracy, she was, in a, she was in a place once. I think it was like a pound store or something. And then this woman come near her and it's like going, not today, not today, not today, don't do it, not today. It's like, you should have dealt with it, Trace. You should have just cast the devil out right there and then. Hallelujah. See, me and my, my wife, she might look like a nice little English girl, but she's as Pentecostal as they come, glory be to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so that's Absalom. I was talking about people that take the favour of others and take it away from the leaders. But, you know, I I see this in smaller subsections, like uh, in the worship team. Okay. Well, I know Doreen's got a better voice than Sister So-and-so, but nevertheless, that girl over there, she's the one that's running the show. I don't care how good you think. I don't care how, how worthy you think you are for that job. Just be patient, will you? And understand that it's not your job and it's not your position. I don't care if you can outclass her. I don't care if you outsing her. You were chosen to do the job. So have some humility and serve under her. And serve under her as though she were Christ himself. Because I get this a lot. I get people say, no, 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 I, 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 will, I will do whatever God tells me to do. But I ain't going to do what no man tells me to do. It's like, well, hang on a minute. If you can't even... Listen to someone that's been authorised and deputised by Christ as a part of a subhead over his church. Then you are not obeying Christ. If you can't obey man, you cannot obey Christ. Basically, it's just super spiritual babble for, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And give it a spiritual card saying, Jesus told me to do it. Amen? We all seen this? We all heard this? Hallelujah. And so the, the next spirit that I see in churches is the Jezebels. Interestingly, Jezebel doesn't, isn't always in a woman either. And I need to say this, that you get some women that are very demonstrative and a very first forceful personality. That's not Jezebel. That's just, that's just a personality type, okay? So you've got to be careful. You don't go around judging people. Hey, sister, you've got Jezebel. She's just loud and raucous. Leave her alone, okay? But... But the Jezebel spirit is actually quite subtle because the name Jezebel means where is the prince? Okay, for two reasons. It's A, she wants to search out who's the one in charge around here. And secondly, she then through subterfuge takes the charge so people are like, where's the prince? I see him there, but he's not the one that's giving the orders. Amen? That's what Jezebel does. She controls things from behind the scenes. She will emasculate leadership, make them doubt who they are, make them doubt their authority. And then slowly but surely, that spirit will start taking control of things. Normally it starts small and it starts subtle. I mean, I saw this once in a man. 
And uh, I remember I saw this in our church in the early days as well. When we, I'll tell you what, when we first planted the church, man, we had them all. Every, you know, any, anything that you could think of to throw at a new pastor is like, we'll go to that church and we'll see how he deals with this. In fact, I had one guy say to me, you've dealt with more in, in the first three years of your ministry than I have in 30 years of ministry, which was a bit unfair. It's like, why me? What have I done wrong? But anyway, it toughened us up. It made us quicker, made us wise to see things quickly. Because when you get wisdom, you can stop things from extrapolating. And you can, uh, as my friend says, you know, deal with the seed, not the harvest. You know, if you, if you stamp it out quick, it won't call into a huge, big wildfire. And so Jezebel will seek to undermine authority. And, uh, and again, similar things to Jezebel, but she doesn't really want to be the one up front. She actually likes being the one behind everything so that she gets her way. And I say she, that's a spirit because the spirit of Jezebel. But it could be in a guy. And I, I remember this one particular guy once. And he, he, he waited for my weekday. He waits for the week spots. And my mother-in-law had just died and, and when we first planted that church. And it was awful. And then this person phoned me up. Hey, Chris, I think at this time what you need is another leader. And I'm that guy. I can be there and help you. Now... I didn't know what I was doing back then, so I've been a church leader for about 12 years now, and when we first started, <laughs> we just didn't know anything about anything, people, quite frankly. But my wife, she had wisdom, and she said to me, I said, oh, I think we need to appoint this person as a leader in our church, because, you know, we're going through such a bad time, we just need someone to take up some extra slack around here. And Tracy begged me with tears. She said, don't do it, please don't do it. And I've, I don't think I've done this ever since, but I learned my lesson painfully but I did do it anyway and it was the worst mistake that I ever made in my life I literally spent the rest of the time in that church trying to get the guy out of power it was just awful the things that he was doing he started preaching a hyper grace message you know it doesn't matter if you sin doesn't matter and all this kind of stuff and it was just awful we had to deal with it and it wasn't pleasant and it wasn't nice so Jezebel likes to come in when you're feeling weak and vulnerable. Hallelujah. Okay, so watch out for that. And then Paul says in the book of Acts, let's, let's turn to it. So Acts chapter 20. And verses 29 to 31. He says, I know that after I leave, ruthless wolves will come among you and not spare the flock. And from among you some will arise, corrupting the truth and inducing the disciples to follow them. In, in the uh, letter to Titus in chapter 3, it talks about uh, schismatics. Schismatics are people that try to create a church within a church or a congregation within a congregation. Okay? And we, we see this a lot over the years. And, and t- Paul says to Titus, look, if you see this happening, rebuke them once. Rebuke them twice, and if they don't listen to you after that, then then they have to go. So there is a place sometimes where, for the sake of the wider body, we do have to deal with issues. Uh, I I see this problem a lot where, and uh, I'm sure here it's done great, but I've been to places where, and I've kind of been guilty of this myself as well in the past, where leaders won't deal with the difficult person in the congregation. And so people are leaving... But no one wants to deal with that one guy because they're frightened of challenging him. Yet there are people that are leaving. It's like, can you not see if you, if you deal with that problem, people will stop leaving? What's, what's better? You have a church of one or you have a church of a hundred. Yeah? 
deal with the one that's causing the problem. That doesn't always mean you have to kick them out. You can just, some people are going through some stuff in their lives and they just need some, you come alongside them and they're hurting or whatever. But some people, they are like wolves. Now, me and Tracy, we, we live near the country, so we have a lot of things like foxes. Now, I don't know if you know what foxes do with chickens. So if you've got like a big ring of like 30, 40 chickens, those foxes will come in. They don't eat the chicken. They don't do anything with it. All they'll do is they'll just kill every chicken just for the sake of it. And that's what wolves do. They will just go into the flock and they will just ravage the flock. They don't care. They just want to ravage the flock. And this is the job that pastors do. Pastors don't stroke wolves. You get a two-ball shotgun and you blow their head off. You deal with them, hallelujah. Some people are like, well, that's not very full of grace. Listen, okay, how many sheep need to get eaten before we deal with the one that's gobbling up the sheep? Okay? And you just got to deal with it. And sometimes it's not pleasant. And being a leader as well is not a pleasant job sometimes. Sometimes you have to deal with the underbelly of church that no one else needs to know about or wants to know about. Hallelujah. And so that's another thing that leaders do. It's a tiring job. It's an exhausting job. And also, right... Everybody here, I, I've been in your shoes, I know what it's like to not be a leader. And so, you know, when you're at home and the washing machine goes and stuff, it's very stressful, isn't it? You know, oh man, where am I going to get the money from to do that? But when you go into full-time ministry, it becomes three-dimensional. It will be the car will stop working, the washing machine will stop working, something goes wrong with your finances, there'll be people in the church stirring stuff up, there'll be people in your family trying to cause you heartache, there'll be one thing after another, after another, after another to grind you down and break you down and rub you down until there's nothing left of you. That is what it's like to be a leader. And then you've got this heavy metal jacket that it, sometimes it's easy to carry and other days it's wearisome. It's like, Lord, I know your burden is light, but this thing's heavy sometimes because there is a burden of responsibility in looking after God's church because these guys love you like they love their own children. And that's a fact. And it's a deep and burdensome thing sometimes. It's a hard life being a leader. Who wants to be a pastor now? Amen. I tell you what, if there was ever a pastor school and you got all these young pastors, I'll be the guy that comes in first. Amen. Just let me out these guys first and then, then good cop can come in afterwards. Okay? Uh, I would tell them the horror stories because being a pastor is a really hard job. I mean, it, you know, being an apostle, I mean, that has its challenges. But, you know, being a prophet or an evangelist, they just walk in. Prophets just walk into a place, cause mayhem and just walk away. Not my problem. Not my problem. Okay. And then the evangelists, they just go into town. Loads of people get saved. Healings, miracles, because they're right on the front edge of the kingdom of God. And so, you know, and they have a great time and they just go on. But pastors, man, you can see it like a treadmill. Who's walked that treadmill? Everything. You have all those running machines, just like not ever going anywhere. That's what it's like to be a pastor. Running on the spot. Running on the spot. Well, same old problem. Same old problem. Every single day. Same old mess. Same old nonsense. Different face. Same problem. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. I can see some of you looking around like, what's this dude on about? I'm saying these things because I'm telling you stuff that I could never say to my own church. Because they would think, what's your motivation here? What's going on? And incidentally, they didn't ask me to talk this talk either, right? They didn't know about it. But it's really important that we stand with our leaders. And a good, a good example of standing with your leaders is when, um, where is he? Moses, he's on the mountain. And uh, 
uh, who is it? It's uh, Joshua. He's down fighting the battle against the Amalekites. And Moses has got his hand held up. Thank you. And Moses has got his hand held up with a staff. And as long as the hand is held up and the staff is held up, okay, he, he is winning the battle. But then his arms get tired and he has to put the staff down. And suddenly the Amalekites are the ones that are leading, uh, uh, leading the, the, the revolt. And so then her and Aaron come alongside Moses and they hold up his hands. Okay? So that the job gets done. And this is what it should be like to support our leaders. But you see, let's be a bit, let's get, let's get graphic here for a minute. Okay, it was a hot day. It was a long day. They didn't have uh, roll-on deodorants in those days. It's so, like Aaron and her, like, man, it's rich here, like holding up these arms. Oh man, okay. Why am I saying this? Because your leaders at the end of the day are just human. Okay, they've got issues, they've got problems, but nevertheless, the stink of humanity. Sometimes you just got to get them. I, I, I just got to hold up their arms because the job isn't going to get done. The battle won't be won unless we do this. Amen. Because sometimes we could put our leaders on a, on a pedestal, like, you know, oh, it's so easy for them. They get to do all the cool stuff and all this kind of, it's just not true. They don't, they don't see themselves like that. They know they have a responsibility. They know God has given them a platform, so to speak. But they are human beings and they need your love and they need your prayers and they need your support. I'm so blessed when I have members of our congregation saying, Chris, every day we pray for you and your wife. Every day we pray. Every day. And so I would strongly recommend, you know, everyone's got an app for that, haven't they? Get yourself a prayer app. And one of the things you want your phone to do to every day is to remind you, pray for your pastors. Glory be to God. Pray for them. Pray for them. So I'm now going to turn to 1 Peter 5. And this is for us, said to us as pastors as well. And uh, verse 2. It says, Shepherd the flock which God has entrusted to you, guarding it, not out of obligation, but willingly, for God's sake, not as one looking for reward, but with a generous heart. See, shepherds, pastors, they're called to shepherd the flock. That means they lead them, that means they tend them, they look after them, they care for them. But it means that they have to protect you. And I've already talked about protecting you from Absalom and, and, and Jezebel and stuff. But they also have to protect you from other stuff. Bad teaching, yeah. bad doctrine, yeah. and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. They need, whilst the world is going its own route, and let's just say it's so vocal with its opinions right now, that if you don't believe what they believe, then you're going to be cancelled for it. Okay, is at these times the church needs to remain strong and resolute and you need good leaders that are going to stay consistent and steadfast and say, that's what the world thinks, but no, this is what the Bible says. To be a leader takes courage. To be a leader, you've got to have boldness. It's harder to be a leader today. Oh, it's great to be a leader and play the world game and just go along with everybody else. And Oh, isn't this such a lovely guy? He's so inclusive about this and about that. But no, you've got to stand for the word of God. And sometimes that means you're not going to be a popular leader, even in your own congregation. You've got to stand on the word of God. Because if you don't stand on that, you've got nothing. Amen? Hallelujah. 
So shepherd the flock which God has entrusted to you, guarding it, and not out of obligation. Hallelujah. No, no one wants a pastor that uh, doesn't really want to do the job, do they? And it's like, sorry, am I bothering you? Is this like taking up too much of your time? You know, no one wants a, a pastor like that. It's like, oh man, how long are you going to go on telling me about all your problems? I've got to have lunch in a minute. No one wants that, okay? So we can't be serving the body out of obligation. But it's, sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes when you, you become pastors and you do this job day in, day out, sometimes it's like, oh, Jesus, not today. <laughs> not today. You look at your calendar, sister so-and-so. Oh, Jesus, not today. Not sister so-and-so again. That's going to take me. Honey, clear out my diary. This is going to be another five-hour chat I'm going to have with sister so-and-so today. But you know what? <laughs> We can't, we can't do things out of obligation. We've got to always remember. You know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. Hallelujah. It says, don't do it out of obli- obligation, but doing willingly. Now listen to this. For God's sake. It's his sake that we do this job. We Pastors don't do this job because it's, it's a good way of making lots of money. I mean, you for real? Right? If you want to earn lots of money, go, go do stuff in the world. You, know, you want to make lots of money, don't do it in the church. Okay? Right? Pastors should be paid well, I do believe, because Paul says, don't muzzle the ox and give double honour to those that preach in the things of the word. And he also says those that, that, that preach the gospel should be able to live by the gospel. But if you think pastors are here to make loads of money, that's just going to happen. That's just not true. Because I get people saying, oh, the only reason why you want my time is so that you can like, you know, do this and do that. I'm like, man, you really don't get it. That is not true. I know there are some places that are like that. Let's be honest. But generally, that's not most people's hearts at all. They're just good, godly men and women just trying to get the job done. And unfortunately, the job costs money as well. You know, when Jesus went around for three and a half years with 12 disciples, how much do you think it costs a day to feed 12 people three meals a day? And most Christians are like, oh yeah, they probably fasted all the time. What, for three and a half years? Okay, it costs money to do things in the kingdom of God. It costs money to buy equipment. It costs money if you want to use technology. It costs money if you want to help the poor. It costs time and it costs money. And that's just the reality. And so we need to support our local churches financially as well because... When we do things together, we have more power to bless more people than we do when we're individuals. Okay? So, we as a church, we, do, we have like a feeding program for the body of Christ and stuff, and for those that can't afford it. But we've got a lot of people that are putting in stuff into that so that we can bless a lot of people. But if it was just me, myself, and Tracy, well, out, we wouldn't be able to help that many people. And so it's important. The church is here collectively, so we are using finances you know, to pay those that need to get paid, but also to help and to bless others and to facilitate the kingdom of God. The fact that you have a building here, this is facilitating the kingdom of God in this area. Now you might think, oh, it's just a building, what's that? It's not just a building. This is a blinding light from the heavenlies. In heaven, those archangels, those powers, those principalities and the dominions, both the goody demons, goody angels, sorry, and the bad angels, they see this place and they see it as a light of the kingdom of God. So it costs money, but see it as an investment into the things of the kingdom of God. 
You see, I love investing money into things. I remember this preacher once saying about how he likes to give to evangelists. And he said, you know why I like to give to evangelists? And I was like, no. He said, because when I go to bed at night, I've invested into those ministries. I know that while I'm asleep, I'm preaching the gospel in India or preaching the gospel in Africa. And my money's going to work for the things of the kingdom of God. And I'm on the front line doing these ministries and I'm still sat in bed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Invest in your local church. That's really important as well. Hallelujah. Because God wants unity in his church. Psalm 133, bringing it back to where we started. God wants unity in his church because he wants there to be power in his church. You know, we want to see signs and wonders and miracles. But we also want to see the love of God breaking into people's lives as well. Because you see, it's by the love we have for one another that the world will know that we are his disciples. You know, the world can't be seeing Christians on Facebook arguing over the finer points of doctrine. Okay? They need to see Christians who are united. They need to see Christians. It's like, man, don't mess with the Christians. They're a united front. They're a united force. You are not going to get in, squeeze in there. Because those guys, they, they love each other and they're united. But the world doesn't need to see a schismatic, broken Christian. Well, I, you believe in this. Well, I don't believe in that. And having an argument on Facebook for all the world to come and watch and to come and see. And the world's looking at us and thinking, well, if they're like that, they're just like us. What's the point of me even bothering? Yeah? God wants his people to be a people. We're not perfect, but we do need to be a people where we're God, irrespective of my weaknesses, irrespective of my foibles and my hurts and my angst, Lord God, I just want to be a person that submits my life to you. I want to come into a kingdom alignment. I want your power. I want your spirit to flow in my families. I want it to flow in my workplaces. I want it to flow in my business. I want it to flow in everything that I turn my hands to, Lord God. Lord, you said you'll prosper me in all that I turn my hands to, Lord God. I want your goodness. I want your kindness. I want your your anointing. I want your grace to be flowing in every area of my life, Lord Jesus. And if you want that life of God flowing in your life, if you want the life of God in your churches, it comes and starts with unity. Now, unity is not uniformity. That's not where we all believe the same thing. Okay? It's about unity is something beyond that. Because in this room, I could list several things and every one of you might have a different opinion. So unity doesn't come based on opinions. Unity comes through loving Christ. If you love Christ, you love your brothers and sisters. Yeah. If you love, you see, some people say, ah, it says this in the letter of John, ah, yes, I love God, but I don't love my brother. He who says he loves God and doesn't love his brother is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you want to say, I love God, then you need to love man. Hallelujah. I remember uh, an old lady, uh, what was her name? Um, was it Teresa, St. Teresa, what was her name? Calcutta, the lady from Calcutta. Mother Teresa, that's it, Mother Teresa. This is how she treated people, okay, in her wonderful ministry. She would see the poor people lying out on mats and stuff on all the streets. And she took that parable in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, You came to me and you fed me when I was sick. You, 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 you saw me and came to me and visited me when I was in prison. I remember that old Keith Green song. Said, when, when did we come to prison and see you? you know, when, did we, when did we see you like this and we fed the hungry and stuff? He said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so she thought, if I show the love of Christ to these individual people, I am seeing them as though they were Christ. And I'm going to minister to them like they are Jesus. Like that's Jesus that's dying down there. Like that's Jesus down there that needs a glass of water. Like that's Jesus that's stuck in prison. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a blessing. 
that's what causes unity. When we see our brothers and sisters in that light, that we're all Christ bearers and we all bear the glory of God within us for all our foibles and for all our things that might rub us up the wrong way. When you look around, you are seeing Christ mirrored in people's faces, hallelujah. And when you start to see people like that, it doesn't really matter if they have a varying different opinion on something, as long as it's not heresy, but if they have a different opinion about how you, how you do the washing up around here or how you put the things in the washing bin or whatever, who cares? We argue about stupid things, don't we? Who cares? Love Christ. Hallelujah, just love Christ. Holy Spirit, let's all just close our eyes for a Holy Spirit, Lord, we love you and we welcome you here, Lord. Father, Lord, just pray you send your spirit here, Lord. We just pray for you to manifest your presence here right now, Lord God. Lord, manifest your presence here amongst us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The Bible says when the Lord is present, call, sorry, it says call upon him while he is near. And he is near right now. Don't just sit there with your eyes closed and be passive. Be aware of the presence of God that's on you and around you right now. our hearts Lord and Lord where we've got things that are not right unforgiveness bitterness, jealousy rivalry things that are not right in our hearts Lord God unnecessarily squabbles Lord I pray that you forgive us I pray you forgive us Lord and some of you here you need to forgive people you don't necessarily have to go up to them and say, I forgive you, but right now in your heart, you need to just forgive some people that have, that have upset you and hurt you. Because if you hold on to that unforgiveness, it will make your heart cold. Cold towards your Heavenly Father, cold towards your brother and sister, cold towards your own spouse. That's not a hard-heartedness that you want or need. Deal with those issues. Just say, God, please, I forgive that person for what they did to me and I choose to love them with the love of Christ. Some of you here have come from broken families. You've got a broken heart. And you're like, how can, how can, how can I ever and you know that this thing's not right in you. You know that you have maybe behaviour issues. And you're like, I just don't know how I can deal with this. It doesn't matter. God can deal with it. But you just need to be honest with him and say, Jesus, look, this is an issue for me. Help me work through this. Help bring me from a place to a place of freedom. Because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Satan's come to rob, steal, kill and destroy. 
But Jesus, come that you might have life and life in abundance. And some of you are not living an abundant life. An abundant life is being able to get up in the morning knowing you're free from those things that bind you. And some of you here need that freedom. So we're going to move in, if it's okay, we'll move into a time of ministry now, just for a few minutes. And if there's anyone here that uh, resonates with what's being said and uh, wants to just receive some ministry from the leaders here and stuff, then, then please come forward now. Don't be shy. This is not about being shy. This is about, I just want to be done with this. I want to get set free of this. I want to get right with God. I want, I want, I want more of Jesus in my life. I want more of the kingdom of God in my life. And I'm prepared to stand at the front and, and, and get some prayer over this.